Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Easy Conversations, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dania. In this week's episode, I sit down with Patrick Hill and we discuss the concept of strength. Uh, Patrick and I touch on what the misconception around strength and what really strength means and how to build an environment where you can thrive and be your best self. I hope you can get a lot out of this episode. And if you can leave a review at the end of the episode, I would truly appreciate it. Cast today, I'm super grateful for you taking the time and uh, accommodating me. So, and I'm really excited about our conversation today. So before we get started, I just want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, where you're located and and some of the work you're doing. Sure, uh, Fakan, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so yeah, I'm Patrick. I'm a business and personal coach. I was born in New Zealand a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've been living in London for the last 18 years. I came to London for a year and here we are still 18 years later. So life kind of takes over. You know how that yeah. happens, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I coach I coach adults um, and children actually, and my passion really with my coaching work is coaching people in and through the harder times of life. But that's not exclusively what I do. I basically I'll work with anyone who's ready to put the yards in to transform their lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess from a coaching perspective, like, is it obviously it, it must be different when you're working with children and with adults and what allows you to like be at your best when you're working with the you know children and adults it's interesting you say that it's different the only difference is when I'm working with a child and when I say a child I'm really thinking anyone under 18 Mm -hmm. um when I'm working with a child I was a teacher for 20 years I'm not sure if I told you that when we were chatting on Instagram but I taught elementary school or primary school kids up to the age of about 11 Mm -hmm. Um, and when I'm working with a child the only difference is I'm very aware of where they might be at emotionally kind of psychologically developmentally but Having said that, just because someone's in their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s doesn't mean they're necessarily further on and able to process things better than a child. Mm -hmm. Children Mm -hmm. quite often take direct feedback much better than adults because they have fewer defences and (laughs) their ego is not as in the ring, if you like. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair. Uh, I I agree because I have had challenges communicating with adults because, like you said, over the time, over the years, you build up defense mechanisms, and and obviously your ego is bigger too. So, I, I can definitely see that um, when working with adults. Um, so, I guess one of the things we had chatted about was talking about strength and what does being strong means, and I think that's a very important topic, especially right now, given everything that's going on in the world. And, you know, you you can look at it as most often the misconception, misconception is around physical strength. But I think there's an aspect right now in the world where collectively we want to have the mental strength 
uh, to combat whatever we're dealing with. And yeah. uh, I wanted to get your perspective on it and, and explore yeah. that a, a bit further. Yeah, sure. And I'd be curious to hear what yours is actually as well. <laughs> yeah. um, the thing with strength is that I think we've been misusing the word or at least narrowing its scope for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Here's a little story. Um, I'm involved in a lot of mental health networking, uh, particularly men's mental health, because we know the male suicide stats are 75% of all suicides are male, 25% female. So that ratio of three to one, I'm quite comfortable saying that men are three times worse processing painful emotions than females. Um, someone can dispute that and that's fine. I think it'd be an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. But the thing when it comes to strength is lots of the time, men in particular, uh, not just men, I think females too, but there's a different pressure on men to be strong. You know, I, had, I heard someone say recently, I had to be strong for the family. And I said to them, but what does that actually mean? Because mm -hmm. it's a phrase that's thrown around. And when we explored it, he's, what he got to was um, he made the conscious decision to suppress and repress all painful emotions and not let them be seen or heard by anyone else in the family when this bereavement occurred. Mm -hmm. Another friend of mine did the same thing about um, probably 20 years ago. And when his mum died, he decided to be strong for the family. And then within a year, his body developed the most horrific psoriasis all mm -hmm. over him. And I think to, to this date, he now has chronic anxiety um, and his health is not great. I think to this day, he is bearing the wounds of the so-called being strong because the tears were never cried. The emotions were never felt they were not processed in a healthy way because they were suppressed and repressed by him and probably others during that process. And I think that I think the word strength has been narrowed to this thing and misused, almost used like some sort of weapon against self or other people saying you've got to be strong. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Why? What does? Why do you have to be? anything other than where you are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think there's this thing that humans are very very uncomfortable with seeing people openly express painful emotions so those messages that we grew up with um stop crying why crying don't cry are all different versions of and quite often an adult saying um i don't want to see you expressing this pain because it makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. And then mental health issues start. I, I, I absolutely know that for a fact. And most of the coaching work that I do with people who are struggling with, a, you know, particularly the people who come to, come to me because there's some sort of incredibly painful event occurring, quite often it links directly back to their childhood yeah. with, without them even knowing. Because those patterns, those neurological patterns start early on. And when they start early on, the brain only has one way of operating. And quite often what I've seen occur is when it gets to midlife, that pattern is causing adults so much pain that it pops out in the, you know, the classic midlife crisis thing, which can obviously happen at any age. But 
the survival of being strong, i.e. not feeling painful emotions, it really messes them up. Mm -hmm. So this be strong thing is it's not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think you've touched on many things here and I appreciate your, your perspective on why, why there's this misconception. And I think um, like starting off with the, the image that's been created for men, right? That's been there for generations, right? And this whole expectation of keeping it together and uh, holding your emotions in. <clears throat> I've experienced that too. And I think, you know, for me at a younger age, it was more about, you know, like if I am stronger, then I can support other people around me. Mm -hmm. and and then as you grow you realize that you know you can still have moments of where you can ask for help and that doesn't change anything right it only mm -hmm. shows that you're vulnerable and you're willing to to step into that uh, discomfort of asking for help and I think the narrative there that needs to change is that shows strength yes. where you're able to ask for help yes um, I guess from the childhood side of things, I, you're right, like, you know, uh, a lot of the work I'm doing is also helping try to identify people with people, what it was that triggered something from childhood, and it's been carrying on and you're repeating those same patterns. Mm -hmm. um, and until you don't do that work, you don't become aware of why you keep repeating the same behaviors, even into your adult life. And, and it's unfortunate, because a lot of people don't even um, know where those behaviors started and they don't have the awareness. So that requires a lot of work as well. And again, it's, it's being able to step into that place of being uncomfortable and, and not thinking it's being weak, but thinking that it requires real strength to mm -hmm. dig deep and, and find those answers within yourself. Absolutely. And I, I say to people who I work with, um, and I've, I've been in recovery for nearly 22 years, and I work with a lot of drug addicts and alcoholics as well. And I say to people, whether it's, you know, uh, or whoever it is, I, I say, I wish you slow, deep and painful healing. Because when we when we break an arm, or we're in an accident, and we're cut badly, the pain is the body healing. Mm -hmm. The same is for the heart, the soul, the mind. It, it hurts because it's healing. It's been given an opportunity to heal stuff that has not healed ever. And it is going to hurt, but it's not going to hurt as much as repeating that same pattern until you die. Mm -hmm. And some people say it's hard work. I'm like, well, is it really? Or is it a different type of work? Mm -hmm. Because we get to frame our mind and, and, and every experience, we get to uh, think about it how we want to think about it. And I think when we know that we can use our mind to direct our thinking, we can create the experience as we want it to be in a, in a way that's not as awful. I mean, I look back to some of the, my earlier years when I was in my 20s and the sorts of things I'd get up to to avoid feeling painful emotions. I got off lightly when I stopped drinking and taking drugs because mm -hmm. that was the beginning of me having a chance to live healthily. If I hadn't done that, I would not be alive. 
Mm -hmm. I just would not be here anymore. I was a suicide statistic waiting to happen. And the strength that I've built over the years is largely because I realized I couldn't save my face and my ass at the same time. So I had to make that decision. It was like, and someone asked me once, they said, have you had enough pain yet? And what he was referring to, he was referring to the old ways and the old patterns of behaving. I was 24 when he asked me this question and I hated him for it. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying is, are you ready to try doing something totally different or do you want to keep using these same neurological patterns and processes that are causing you this pain? Mm-hmm. And so when people say it's hard work, I go, hmm, not as hard as staying in the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, to your example, um, drugs and alcohol, like, I mean, we try to numb the pain with substances Mm -hmm. and, and then it becomes a perpetual cycle, right? You, Mm -hmm. you're feeling pain, you're feeling uncomfortable. So you numb that pain with alcohol or drugs and then you feel more of it. So then you keep numbing it and then it just continues on unless you're willing to break out of that cycle. And yeah. it sounds like you were able to do that. And, and obviously here you are today, you, you know, mm. taking that time and, and effort to, yeah. to go through that growth. Yeah, but I, I feel very, very fortunate. I've had a lot of support. But the thing is when I, when I realized the trouble I was in, uh, you know, in my twenties, I, I was, I just surrounded, I I totally changed my entire social circle. I surrounded myself with people who were well, who were prospering in all sorts of ways in their lives. Um, Because we, I heard this great thing the other day for kind of, um, you're only as well as the average of the five people closest to you. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that, it just hit me between the eyes. I was like, that's exactly right. And so if we want to live really well, we also have to surround ourselves with people who are living really well. Absolutely. And I, I, I look back to what I was doing. It's like, mm, that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's an aspect of uh, there's that group think bias concept too, where, you know, often you are biased by the people you're surrounded by and, and obviously positivity mm-hmm. is contagious. So if you're <laughs> surrounding yourself with negativity and, and I don't mean like people, or like in, in a, in a derogatory sense that people are negatives, often there's a negative energy and you, you pick up on that. Absolutely. And and everything that we put into ourselves, whether it's the people around us, food, exercise, drink, drugs, whatever, as well as all the media and the news and the television and newspapers and everything, everything has an impact because everything Mm -hmm. has energy. So we've got to be very selective. And I look at the simplicity of my life now, I do not watch TV. Mm-hmm. I watch series, like, you know, binge series. Um, <laughs> but I don't watch the news. I don't read the newspapers. I get one update from the mayor of London telling me what's going on in London that I need to know because it's not sensationalist. It's just fact. Mm-hmm. And I look at how some people live and they just live by watching the news. I'm like, God, no wonder you're not feeling very good. Mm-hmm. But mm, you get to choose. We get to choose. We have, we have free agents and we get to choose what we let in. Yeah. So, and everything, everything, either it's, it's either adding to your life or taking from it. Mm-hmm. Literally everything. Yeah. So what do you want? Mm-hmm. 
so I wanted to explore a thing. So, you know, a lot of the times, uh, myself included, but when I, when I'm working with people or talking to friends, one of their struggles is changing their social circle, right? Like mm-hmm. often it's easier to change your diet and the things, uh, exercising more. Um, but where people really get stuck is their social circle because they've been around those people for a really long time mm-hmm. or uh, they meet people through work or whatever. And yeah. that's where I find people get stuck. So, you know, you mentioned in your twenties, you were able to uproot and change your social circle, which made a significant difference in your life. Um, what are some tips you can share for people that struggle in that sense? Well, I've asked that question again, have you had enough pain? Mm-hmm. Because pain is an incredibly good motivator. And if you haven't had enough pain, well, good luck. You know, because you're going to have to make a decision. And I think the thing that's interesting is when I look at people in relationships, and it can be any sort of relationship, lots of relationships are, are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And lots of them are healthy. But the, the question I ask people is, what are your healthiest boundaries for you? in your relationships is this person adding to your life or taking from it are they lifting you up or are they pulling you down and i mean this this is a bit bit of an extreme example but i don't really care how it's perceived by others every january i go through my mobile phone and i delete names and the question i ask myself is is this person able to and willing to hold space for me and am I able to and willing to hold space for them? And if the answer is no, it's a delete. And I do the same in Facebook. And every now and then I go through Instagram. And every now and then I go through Clubhouse and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Because if it's kind of like, you know, in your house, you know, like behind you, you've got your kitchen, right? Yeah. You could go through those cupboards and get rid of at least two full rubbish bags of stuff that you don't need, haven't touched, and will never. And everything in life holds energy, people included, probably people more so than objects. Mm -hmm. If they're not lifting you up, they are dragging you down. So I guess if people are wanting to change their social circle, is start. And it doesn't end. It's not a thing we go, oh, good, I've got the perfect social circle. Mm-hmm. It morphs because mm-hmm. we grow and we change. I was watching this brilliant little clip um, on YouTube where Snoop Dogg was talking to some other rapper. And he was saying how as he grew as a man, he had to leave these people behind that were in his life because they were dragging him down and pulling him down and they weren't helping him go to where he wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I think it's... It can be hard. And I remember feeling incredibly lonely. I was 24. Mm. And all of a sudden, all these people who I thought my friends weren't my friends when I stopped taking drugs and drinking. And then I was left with me. I was like, okay, but these people, these four people are sensational friends. So I stuck with them. Mm-hmm. And I spent time with them. But then because of how you know, uh, we are now with social media, it's very, very easy to make really, really good, high quality connections if you're prepared to be vulnerable and honest. Mm-hmm. Like you and I've met, we're chatting. Yeah. How easy was that? Yeah, for sure. And and I think one of the things I want to highlight too, and, and I've kind of gone through a similar process uh, that you mentioned after I was going through separation, I felt 
you know, there's people who were trying to drag me down and make me feel bad about making a choice that I felt was necessary for my yeah. happiness. Um, so again, same thing, you know, my social circle evolved and there were certain people I'm still friends with, but I know that, you know, like I, I like to maintain that relationship, but it's in very small doses. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, I'll see these people maybe once a month or once every three months, but then mm -hmm. my core circle of friends that actually uplift me, those are the people I make more time for and I'm willing to see more often. So, you know, I, I think what, what I want listeners to understand is it doesn't mean you just cut people out from your life, uh, especially no. if people you've known for a really long time, but it's but being mindful depends. of. It, it depends. Yeah, it no, absolutely. Depends. Yeah. But I mean, there's friends and family that you can't avoid, right? Even family members that are uh, probably not good for you. Um, but it's being mindful of how much time you're spending with them, right? Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, I, I've had very interesting times with my immediate family recently. My mum died in April 2020. And then everyone seemed to start behaving really badly. Mm -hmm. And there's been weeks and months where I was like, no, I'm not contacting you because I'm not doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. um, I had a really, really close friend who I'd known for 30 years not uh, she was unable to hold space for me any longer as I was going through that process of caring for mum as she died and so I decided a dignified drift was in order and that was the end of 30 years of friendship mm -hmm. and I was hurt and I was sad and upset about it and but now I'm, with some time and distance I'm just able to be grateful for the wonderful years we shared and we grew in different directions mm -hmm. and quantity does not quality make no Absolutely. It just does not. Yeah. And it's the same with intimate relationships too, where, you know, you, there comes a time where people evolve and then they go, they start going in separate directions Yeah, and you can't force that. Um, and, and you feel that stress. And like you mm -hmm. said earlier, you know, when you carry that stress, it shows up in different ways, you know, Absolutely like does. it could be diseases, it could be physical pain. It could be, many forms and mm -hmm. and you know i think it's being mindful and i think it's really important that you've highlighted this because our social circles make a significant impact in our lives huge uh, yeah huge and we now know from the research that children children's peer group you know up into up into late teen years has a greater impact on them and how they think and behave than their parents ever have or will um, and interestingly, when you're talking about strength and then mental health things um, and changing your social circle, when I finally came out, I was 22 and I was living with my mum and dad at the time and I was raised into a very right-wing Catholic family. So growing up as a gay boy in a, a very Catholic family didn't go so well for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my parents, when I finally came out, they were not able to be there for me as I needed them to be. And it was awful. If I felt totally rejected by the two people whose only job, only job is to love me unconditionally. So I was like, oh, screw this. And the conflict and my mental health and everything was terrible. And we know from the research into suicide stats that the LGBT community commits suicide at four to five times the rate of non, which means 65 to 70% of all suicides happen 
occur within the LGBT community. I was a stat that was, um, I, there were three to four times where suicide was my thing that mm -hmm. I was going to do. And I just thought, I'm not doing this. And so I just said to my parents, I've got enough of my pain going on. I'm not going to be dealing with yours as well. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to go there. And I stayed with friends for the next couple of months because my parents were not emotionally and psychologically safe for me to be near. Mm -hmm. When I made that decision for Khan, I decided that if they could not hold space for me, they would not be in my life anymore. And they knew that. Mm -hmm. And they were terrified of losing their son because I've always had this strength. You know, I was bullied terribly as a teenager and as a kid. And one, the first time I thought of suicide, I was nine because the bullying was so terrible. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that would end the pain. But I've had this thing in me always that I will get through everything and when the situation occurred with my parents, I wasn't that surprised. I knew it was going to happen as it did. I just was kind of hoping it wouldn't. Um, but what did I do then for the next two years? My sexual behavior, my drinking and drug taking was off the scale dangerous mm -hmm. because I had no solid support. I had one person, that's not true. I had one person who I could turn to safely and somehow a couple of years after that, I, I got into recovery and I got sober. Now, resilience is a big, big part of strength. And I don't have any fear or shame telling any part of my story now. I'm 46 years old and I literally don't care what anyone thinks of me mm -hmm. because they're going to think of me for three seconds if that and then go back to thinking about themselves because that's what humans <laughs> do. Yeah. So I'm comfortable talking about anything. But the thing you've got to have in your head is like, what do you want for your life? You get one shot at this. Mm -hmm. One shot. Make it your best and healthiest. And if that means you need to have people cut out of your life and never speak to them again, family included, do it. Because some families are really, really dangerously sick and unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And at that time, my family, my parents were. We since rebuilt that relationship over 25 years to the point where, you know, my mum and dad couldn't be there for me when I was 22. But when mum was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, I stopped my life here in London, resigned from my job, left my house and garden partner and went to New Zealand for eight months to help her die. I was able to be there for them when they needed me most. And that's the point. Mm -hmm. That's strength. That's resilience. Mm -hmm. you no, know, There's no emotional wound there anymore but you have to make decisions for you and your life alone, including parents with their children. Mm -hmm. You've got to put yourself at the top of the list because otherwise you can't be there for your kids. You've got to fill your own cup. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've touched on that too. And I think for me, the biggest motivator of separating was knowing that <clears throat> I'm not the best version and I'm not the best version that I want to be for my son. So do I keep sticking it out and giving him like a 30% version of me or do sure. I make a tough choice and give him the, the father I can, I know I can be. So yeah. those are the choices you do need to make in life. And, you know, like you said, it's tough when you cut yourself off from people and you decide to choose this life of being alone and it does get lonely. And I guess, that's where resilience comes in is because 
you're so afraid to be alone or, or being in that position of uh, discomfort. That is when you realize all the strength you have inside of you mm -hmm. until you and don't put yourself in those positions. You know, and humans are more resilient than we are all more resilient than we will actually ever need to know. Mm -hmm. And when you talked about, you know, your separation and choosing to move on, you chose to move on, not for your son, but for you first. Mm -hmm. you Absolutely. Had to, yeah. You, you put you at the top of your list, which meant you were able to then give fully and freely to your son because you were no longer in a state of stress and conflict in a relationship you no longer wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. And I, I talk to clients all the time about, they say, I, I feel guilty leaving. I said, well, stay. Stay for the rest of your life because you can. And they're horrified when I do that. What's the other option? Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was the same thing with my parents. Choosing, choosing to be lonely and sad and feeling hurt was less painful than staying in a toxic, unhealthy situation. If I had stayed with my parents and allowed that behavior to continue around me, I would have killed myself. Got it. And, and when we're talking about mental health, Fakan, we are literally talking quite often the difference between life and death. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the inability that we all have to feel painful feelings and name them and sit with them and express them in healthy ways. That is the fatal part the inability to feel them and sit with them and express them. Because if we all were able to go in and feel the pain and discuss it openly, particularly men, the suicide stats will drop very, very quickly. It is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it in the work I'm doing at the moment. Is, uh, and I've developed a specific coaching program called Strong Men Cry for men so they can learn about painful feelings, what's going on in them chemically, what's going on in them neurologically, so they can do something different with them. Because until we do something different, the suicide stats will actually climb. They will not drop. Mm -hmm. But reducing them is something we all have to do together. Right. It is an international crisis. No, and it's, I agree 100%, yeah. It's not, be, it's not being addressed with the, 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 uh, the strength that's required. More people die from suicide every year than the whole of everyone who's died from COVID. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, so, and this is something I wanna like get your perspective on. So, you know, I, I do agree with you 100%. We, as men, not only need to encourage other men to speak up about their feelings, and support them. But I think society, like from a society perspective, like what do we need to do when men do speak up to nurture that and, and increase that encouragement? Because I feel that is also a blocker where when mm -hmm. the men do step up or talk mm -hmm. about things, and I've had it too with my friends, you know, I get the it's like the message you get is like, okay, well, that's not a big deal. Like you're a dude, you can deal with that. So what are the things we need to do when men do take that leap 
to be supportive on the other end? It is, yeah, I, it's a good question, but I, I would just say to you, it's not a gender question. It's not, it's just a good question. What, what do you, let me flip it to you. What do you need and want most when you're sharing what's really going on for you with painful feelings? I think for me, what I would need is just an understanding of the fact that regardless of the situation or gender, I am, I am in pain. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the understanding that, okay, you know, you're hurting and it's okay to hurt. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just having that support rather than being told that, you know, because I look a certain way or because I'm a certain gender that I should be okay with it or I shouldn't feel pain. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing is pretty much what everybody needs. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I'm with anyone, and this is not about client work anymore, it's just who I am now, mm. I will hold space for you with 100% unconditional love, with no judgment, and 100% safety. Mm-hmm. I, I, look, this is the first time we've actually seen each other. Mm-hmm. But if you called me up and said, Patrick, can I talk to you? I would say, of course. And then I'd say, we've got 90 minutes. Go for it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that humans aren't very good at doing is just listening to be with someone. Most people listen for the gap when they get to say their next thought. And when you're, when you're sitting with somebody, when we are, if you want to get really good at listening, here's a really easy tip. Just watch their eyes as they speak. And when they finish speaking, count to 10. Because the eyes tell you when the brain has stopped thinking, when your eyes stop moving, mm-hmm. that thought process has come to an end. And then you leave some silence, watch what happens. And it's a really, really powerful thing. And quite often in my coaching work, clients cry with me in their first session. Mm-hmm. And it is simply because they know there is no demand. There's no expectation. I'm not judging a single thing they think, feel, or have anything they've done. And they know, and I say to them, I want nothing from you, but everything for you. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden their shoulders drop, they're, they're 100% safe, the painful feelings come up and they're expressed through tears. All of us, all of us, no matter the age, gender, whatever, we all want to be fully seen and fully heard and know we are a hundred percent safe in that moment. It requires everything and nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And that's, I mean, that's amazing. I think that's a really good, useful uh, tip, especially if we want to encourage others to, to step into the space of expressing themselves or, or feeling safe to talk about very difficult feelings, we want to be able to give them that safe space. 
-hmm. and listen. And I think that, like you said, it's uh, uh, the listening is underestimated because it is so powerful when, you know, like when someone feels safe and they can just speak their truth, Mm. it could do wonders, right? Mm. It literally transforms people. And I say to pretty much every client I work with, because every session I find surprising and delightful in lots of different ways, because it's different every time with every person, but I always say to them, it's been a real honor and privilege to work with you today. Mm -hmm. Because it is. I'm hearing things that they have not even thought about, let alone expressed to anyone else in their life. And quite often it's life-changing things. Mm -hmm. And then you see this totally different person emerge from however many sessions we have. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly powerful work. But I do say to I do say to potential clients, if you want shallow coaching, I'm not the guy for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I I I don't like shallow because shallow doesn't transform. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Sure. If you want to get better at time management, find another coach. I'm not the one for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I guess one of the things uh, again, getting asking for your perspective on this, but what I've found is often when a person is talking to me and I'm just listening. They often get to the answer on their mm-hmm. own just because they're able to speak freely. And like most of the time we know deep down what the answer is, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, we're trying to end a relationship, we're trying to make a tough decision career wise, mm-hmm. we know the answer deep down. And what I found is when uh, p- the other person has an opportunity to just speak freely and they know they're not being judged and they're being heard, they will get to that answer. And then that's way more powerful than someone else telling them what to do. Oh, absolutely. And there's research that totally supports that. And I was having a really interesting chat with a psychotherapist this week on my coaching couch live on Instagram. And he, great guy, really, really like him. And I want to speak to him again. He had no idea what coaching was. He thought it was all about giving advice um, and telling people what to do. And I was like, oh, if it was that, I wouldn't be doing it. Because anyone anyone who's tried to give me advice over the years is quite often just a dickhead. And I'm not not interested in giving advice. All I really want to do for people is provide that space for them to think freely. And yeah, you're right. Most of the time they do get to get to things, but I think sometimes they just need that space where the right question or at least a really good question will be asked at the right time Mm -hmm. or something will be reflected back to them that they didn't notice about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you're listening with a client, it's not most, not, not the words you're listening to mostly it's, everything else mm-hmm. the nuance of the facial expressions and the body language and the tone of the voice the the words themselves don't carry as much weight as everything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and often you the words there's an underlying story beneath the words that I think you can pick up on right yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and like you said when you reflect it back to the person I've often seen that light bulb moment, right? Where it's just mm-hmm. something goes off in their head and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and those are the, 
powerful moments, I think, uh, when you can help someone or, or you guide them into that direction of realization. Yeah, and I think the thing I love the most about that whole process is they have created the process by owning it and stepping into it and, you know, putting putting themselves at the top of the list and investing some money in themselves. You know, I mean, if I was to go on a holiday, you know, going away somewhere with my partner, we'd spend about £2,000 for, say, two weeks, mm-hmm. right? How many people willingly spend £2,000 on their thinking? Not many. No. And they're miserable. But they've had another holiday and they come back to their life and they're like, oh, so if you're not prepared to put money into your development just as you would food or clothing or going to the dentist your mind requires maintenance Mm -hmm. if you don't and this is what i keep saying to everyone at the moment if you don't manage your mind it is going to manage you really badly Mm -hmm. because it's like having an operating system that's just running on auto and it's not been updated at all yeah yeah. You know, and I was in 1974 Omega, and fortunately today I'm the 2021 Hill version. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the other analogy I've used is like it's like your vehicle, right? If you don't take it in for servicing or maintenance, it's just yeah. gonna it's gonna fall apart and break down on you one day. Yeah. And that's how we need to treat our minds. Um, if we're not gonna take care of it, it, it's it's just a matter of time. You can only prolong it for so long. Um, And I guess coming back full circle in terms of the people we surround ourselves with too. And I think if you're, you've got the right social circle, you know, not only are they going to uplift you, but in moments when you're going to open up and express yourself, those are the people that will unconditionally listen to you without judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's important. And I've been fortunate enough to have myself around the right people too, where I I can go and speak freely and not have to worry about them treating me differently the next day. Yeah. And you know what, over the years, you know, I've been sober a very long time and I now deliberately, I developed this um, acronym called TEAM, T-E-A-M, and it stands for time, energy, attention, and money. So where I put my team my time, energy, attention, and money will directly impact my life. So I now, I don't have anybody in my life who isn't lifting me up because I've been doing the same thing for 22 years. And mm-hmm. every January the 1st, when the, the annual house cleaning comes around, it's like, there's no drag because if you're not lifting me and I'm not lifting you, it's not a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And so now the quality of my life and my relationships is such that it's like it's beautiful that's beautiful i you know i mean my family my family are twelve thousand miles away mostly um and there's reasons for that and i love them but i don't live near them or Mm -hmm. spend much time with them because it's best i don't Mm -hmm. and i say that to their faces this is no secret Mm -hmm. you know and I'm not being hurtful. I'm just being honest for me and telling my truth. Um, and I think they might say the same about me. And that's fine. You know, families are complicated. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've taken from our conversation is not feeling bad about choosing yourself. So if you have to cut people out, like there's, 
yeah, it, it can suck and it can be sad because you have memories with those people. But at the end of the day, if you're doing it for your own mental well-being or yeah. your own growth, yeah. the only person you need to answer to is yourself. Right. And when it comes to relationships, I developed this um, analogy, if you like, and it's like relationships that aren't working. It's like going into a pharmacy looking to buy a pair of jeans. They don't sell jeans in the pharmacy. Yeah. You're in the wrong shop. So you can't be expecting the pharmacy to all of a sudden offer something that's not available. You've got to change yourself, make a decision and go to where you need to go to get what you need and want. Mm -hmm. And if you're not at the top of your list, you are not going to be able to love anyone fully and freely. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. And I guess as we come to a conclusion here, like we've talked about many things and obviously our, our main theme we wanted to touch on today was a strength. Is there any last kind of piece of advice or message you want to share around strength and how do we embody that in ourselves without fear of judgment and, and shame? I decided quite a long time ago that I was not going to have any fear or shame in my life. So when I notice it coming up in me, I get really clear about what that fear or shame is. And then I take direct action in the, in the face of it. Um, with regard to being fearful about what others will think of you, they don't think of you. They're too busy thinking about themselves. They don't care. They literally <laughs> don't care. Humans are so self-obsessed that people, you know, people now pull out their mobile phone to film someone being attacked rather than help them. Yeah. Right? Humans are weird but they're not thinking about you. And if they are gonna judge you, let them. Because there's only one thing more boring than being talked about. And that's not being talked about at all. Mm -hmm. And if they're judging, it's a really good way of you realizing you don't want them in your life. Mm -hmm. It's a natural filter. And then you can just let them go with a dignified drift on the 1st of January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh i'm gonna start using that practice every january 1st just clean a my client <laughs> a client recently gave me her phrase and she calls it a dignified drift where a relationship is no longer providing you what you need and want it's like looking for a, you know some jeans in a pharmacy and honestly when it comes to strength choose you all of you all of you no matter what because when you're on your deathbed, when I'm on my deathbed, I want to know that I did everything that I wanted to do without any regard for your opinion or your thinking or your values, because you aren't in my life. I'm in my life. I am the only person that I've had to sleep with every day for the last 46 and a half years. Mm -hmm. What I think of me, matters enormously and that's why i've got this freedom now i don't care what you think of me because you don't i need to think about me and make sure i'm at the top of my list with all that self-love and compassion we all so desperately want and seek 
Yeah, yeah. no, that's amazing. And <clears throat> I think the best way to put it also is you're the one who's spending the most time with yourself, right? Absolutely. Get your no. relationship with you right and everything else will come to you. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's great. And I want to thank you again, Patrick, for coming on here, having this conversation. I loved your perspective on things. It, it's really important to look at it from that lens. And I guess for people that want to get a hold of you, whether it's social media or online, what are the best yeah. ways? So, yeah, so I'm on Clubhouse, but I'm sporadic with that. But Instagram, I'm on a lot. I tend to use that a lot. I'm at Patrick Hill Coaching. And my website is www.thinkingbeyondnow.co.uk. Easy to get hold of. And I'm always available. And I do offer people a free 30-minute uh, connection call if they're interested in doing some work with me. But I do need to say again, if you're wanting shallow coaching, I am not your person. <laughs> Yeah, no. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, take care. Cheers. Well, that's the end of the episode. Thank you again for tuning in and uh, showing your support. Until next week.